Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Today, we have a special guest, our first international guest, Sarai. Welcome on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for coming on. Well, I guess I'll give you a quick little brief intro, but we'd, I want to hear a lot about your story and what you get up to. But um, we did promise to have you on, on episode 78. You gave us an awesome bunch of questions and we dedicate a whole episode to it which was really cool and want to get into a little bit more detail about that and i'm sure it's going to come up along the way but um since then you started your own business wolf mother canine rescue services and you've also started a podcast called the shelter story so we want to hear a little bit of an origin story and we want to hear about how you get into dogs tell us and then obviously it's going to tether into everything that you're doing now Awesome. Um, So I've been working with dogs in different respects for over 17 years, everything from small mom and pop pet shops to daycares. I was a grooming manager at one point and I started getting into training. So I started doing that privately and it really piqued my interest when I started studying animal behavior at the University of California, Davis. So even though I majored in wildlife, fish and conservation biology, I took every undergrad behavior course they offered in both domestic and wildlife animal behavior. Um, So I started working at the shelter in 2018 in September, and what really piqued my interest was as soon as I walked in, I noticed that there were several dogs in isolation that had been there for several months, and they were just sitting there. You know, nothing had really been done with them, and I asked what the plan was, and no one really knew what to do. I mean, these dogs were kind of gray zones, so they weren't to the point where they were, you know, very outwardly aggressive, where we could say immediately, you know, these dogs aren't appropriate candidates for public adoption, but they also weren't ready to be placed for public adoption either. Um, So our shelter was really small. It was in Napa County and we don't have dedicated departments. So, you know, we didn't have people focusing on medicine or behavior or adoptions. Everyone kind of did everything. So I did take it upon myself during the small minutes I could squeeze in every day uh, to work with these dogs one-on-one. And some dogs, you know, it took several months, but we did get to the get them to the point where they could be adopted. And for me, there was nothing like that in the world. And I saw that there was a huge need for that. And there's, you know, a lot of shortcomings and limitations that these shelters face. And unfortunately, a lot of these facilities are placed in the position that Napa County was in as well, where you have a very small staff, they're open intake. So you're constantly getting these dogs in, whether they're, they come in as strays or owner surrenders. So We each kind of do what we can um, and use our own specialties. So we did have a staff member who was, um, she worked at a vet office. So she was like our medical go-to. There's other people that specialize in cats and small animals. So each person kind of picked their niche, which I thought was awesome. And mine was dog behavior. Um, So from there, I worked there for several years. And then last year, part of it, to be honest, was that I did get a little bit burnt out, but I wanted to expand my reach and help more shelters. And I knew I couldn't really do that, um, continue in that same position. So I did quit my job and immediately started my own business with the idea of creating programs that shelters can use 
um, training volunteers and staff in a way that we can use everyday interactions to work with these dogs and also figure out, you know, what are the issues that we're facing post-adoption and how can we start working with that while they're at the shelter with us. While I could focus one-on-one on rehabilitating and working on behavior modification with the more challenging dogs that I was used to working on while I was there at the shelter. Um, so then Wolf Mother Canine Rescue Services was started and we're just shy of a year old. So it's just me, I'm a one woman show. Um, awesome. My boyfriend, yeah, he helps a lot. So he's uh, currently an animal control officer and we met on the job and um, we actually fell in love working on the more difficult dogs together. So it's that's really awesome. awesome. What's his <laughs> name? Story. Nate. So he's over here. Shout out to Nate. Good man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's cool. It, it was such a surreal experience getting to work one-on-one with these dogs. And honestly, it, it changes your life. And especially like the soul dogs that really stick out to you. And there's one story, if I could share uh, later yeah, on of Whiskey Foxtrot, who I actually had to euthanize myself. So it was a dog that I worked with one-on-one for about six months and I was able to handle him. But again, with these shortcomings with staff and timing and resources, no other staff member could really work with him to that capacity. I mean, I used my lunch breaks to work with him, my breaks. Um, I would stay after work sometimes to just hang out with him. Um, But we got to the point where we did have to call an independent behaviorist to Um, assess him, which unfortunately he was deemed a euthanasia candidate. And because this dog trusted me and we had formed this bond, I didn't want him to go through like a very stressful period during, you know, the last moments of his life. So I actually volunteered to euthanize him myself, which was by far like the hardest thing I've ever had to do in this industry. And that changed my whole outlook on this. And I never want to go through that again. I never want, you know, I, I do feel if, we had the resources and someone specifically dedicated to working with these dogs, it could have been a different outcome. So that for me just completely changed my mission and my vision for these dogs. And especially now California is going in the direction of no kills. So what are we going to do with these dogs? You know, we can't just let them sit here and rot in their kennels. Like we have to do something with them. So So when you say going in the direction of no kill, like is the government going to mandate that or how does that work? So right now it's up to local ordinances. So cities and counties can vote on these individually. So it's not decided by the state at all or on a national level either. Um, But it looks like more and more people are pushing for no kill status And the problem is, though, that differs depending on the county, too. So for Napa County, no kill means um, we have to have a 90 percent or above live release rate, period. That includes all behavioral and medical cases as well. L.A. County, so Los Angeles, just passed a similar ordinance, but they can discount their medical or behavioral cases. So they're running into issues where shelter supervisors and managers are just deeming dogs behavioral cases to euthanize them, and those aren't counted towards that 10% euthanasia rate. So there's no standard for this at all, but more and more people are pushing for their shelters to um, have at least a 90% or above life release rate in general. And is there a plan for the dog, as you said before, the dogs that need, that we think need to be behaviorally euthanized? Is there a plan that is going ahead with these, for these dogs? No. And you bring up an excellent point because that is the problem that we're running into is that these ordinances are underfunded or unfunded completely. So we passed 
um, these requirements that these shelters have to meet, but we're not giving them additional resources. We're not giving them extra money, more staff, uh, more training, more space to hold these dogs. So, you know, now they're overflowing. Almost every shelter in, in California, at least, is at capacity or exceeding capacity. We're seeing that issue a lot in the South as well. Texas, Mississippi, Florida, they're all struggling with this problem. And we, again, we pass these mandates without the support to fully give these animals and the staff the support and care that they need. Where do the mandates come from? Like what, like you said, it's coming from the councils or the, the local... Uh, proposition. So people, if you can gather enough signatures for a law, then it can go on a ballot and people vote for it that way. Right. And it was in the dogs like said, to they them. Don't, they don't get the resources, right? Like they put the ordinances yes. on them and then they just so dump this rule on them, but then they don't give them any... The flip side is they're not actually helping. Them. Like they're just like, oh, now you have to obey this rule. Yeah. But they're so not it actually is- supporting them. Yeah, it's it's very short-sighted, and that's the problem, mm. that these shelters are funded by taxpayer dollars. So it would require that the citizens or that community pay a little bit more in taxes, but they're not including that in the ordinance. So these shelters are struggling mm. right now. So two questions that are kind of together. What would be the most typical behaviors that you saw in your experience working at the shelter and still now? And then also, what's the percentage of behavior, like that, dogs that are aggressive and that aren't deemed to be rehomed, how how many of them in the shelter that you've been working at? Um, so the ones that I've been, the one that I worked at, I'd say the biggest issues were reactivity was a really bad one, um, really bad cage presence as well. And it's something I feel could be easily worked with, with counter conditioning. Again, it mm-hmm. just takes time, but there's simple techniques that we can teach volunteers and staff members to use even the public, you know, you can turn it into a, Hey, help us train our dogs, mm-hmm. hang little treat buckets outside of their kennels and just have people counter conditioned by tossing treats. Um, we're seeing a lot of like animal aggression too, I feel is a problem that's popping up a lot. Some animals, honestly, we couldn't even safely get in the kennel and mm-hmm. handle the dogs. And we would test with tester hands, or I bought these really nice gloves um, that I use now, but just, they're not designed even the facility for us to even be able to test them or evaluate yeah. them in a, in a manner that's, I feel honestly portrays what they're really like. And that's the problem is a lot of these dogs come in. Okay. But they start deteriorating quickly. Um, so within the matter of weeks or even a couple of months, they start losing weight. They start popping up with issues that we didn't see before. And we can't expect anything, you know, less in that kind of environment. Of course, you know, you're surrounded. It's chaotic. It's stressful. Um, but the animals also that I see would be deemed unadoptable. If we had the staff and resources, um, I would say a very small percent, less than five, maybe two or three. But realistically, if you're if we look at you know, there's sometimes two staff members for 200 or more dogs. We can't work with them and we for can't sure. let them rot in there either. So we have to expand that number. It, it's just a horrible reality that they're placed in that position, mm. but that's where they're at. You know, we have to be realistic and pragmatic about it. Exactly. And so I, I, I was speaking to a friend. She works at a shelter too. And I heard something about New South Wales banning shelter killings. So uh, she sent me this thing that was from one of our like news outlets. So I'll read it quickly. Like pounds across New South Wales will be banned from convenience kills of cats and dogs that are in their care. They have come under scrutiny for euthanizing animals as if it was cheaper than finding the furry friends of forever home. One council's in the state's north shot 15 dogs and puppies. It's obviously very emotional. I don't, like, I'm not sure like the last points, but yeah. at the top is what you were saying. So it's easier to put a, a dog down. We could probably even get a government grant for it 
rather than keeping him on and trying to find him a home. So they're trying to stop that, or are we trying to stop all dogs from being behavioural euthanized full stop? Because I think both are a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. And did they make that distinction when they're pushing for that in that article? Did they say it all? They just call it convenience killing, but like, what is that? That was not an article and I was, I'm very ill researched right now. So I have not done any real research. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. What's convenient and what's not, right? But like, you know, um, exactly because a lot of, because I put it this way. So a lot of the pounds in New South Wales, if a dog isn't microchipped at seven days, until the 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 council owns that animal and 14 days of the dog is microchipped and what was happening is that a lot of shelters day eight of those dogs boom the dogs are done they were they were euthanized straight away so then they were trying to keep numbers down because of that and i think that's obviously heaps cruel and then the other extreme is we'll keep every single dog possible because no one should be being euthanized but yeah yeah and then obviously other questions will come up from that but is that well is it is that a clear distinction that's happening in california as well and so yes and no on on one side it does have to you know depending on the county and and the shelter that has this specific ordinance um for some an independent party has to deem the dog unadoptable for either reason so mm-hmm. it can't be a staff member so you take that power completely out of that shelter cool. um which for some people is good for the it can be difficult though depending on um, who's doing the assessment right yes and sometimes yeah. like for our medical animals we couldn't get a hold of a vet so we had one emergency vet treating three counties um very large mm. counties and you know they had a wait time of four hours for emergencies at some point. So us being not being able to make that call when an animal is clearly suffering, it's been hit by a car, it's dying in our arms, but we can't do anything about it because that power was taken out of our hands. Oh, wow. That's when I feel it it, it gets a little wow. muddy. Yeah, um, in other cases, there's no like check marks where say if a dog is dog aggressive or has a history of killing livestock, that's not necessarily an automatic euthanasia. It depends on the degree, the history of the animal, um, the behavior that we're seeing there. So say we see something where a dog has killed, you know, livestock before, but it may be able to be managed in the right household with the right people. So it's not really as black and white as people think it is. So a lot of that, you know, the, the call does come down to these shelter management and supervisors, but it's, it's difficult. You know, we always have to consider too the quality of life for the animal, the longer it stays in the shelter, which as you know, you know, that's a factor that not a lot of people like to talk about, but we've so seen that. What's more humane? Like, do, you absolutely. Know, how do well, who, like, who decides that? It's not an easy choice. Mm. It's not. It's not. And I mean, I assessed a dog a couple of weeks ago at the shelter that I had assessed before I quit. He hadn't been really let out of his kennel at all. This, this dog had lost like 30 pounds. I mean, he was just skin and bones. And it, it broke my heart seeing him like that. And we are forcing that animal to live in that situation yeah. and we have to think about that when we're making these ordinances yeah. and if we're going to pass these laws give us the support that we need these shelters absolutely need that funding they need more staff they need more space um, better yards enrichment that money comes from somewhere you know it doesn't just mm-hmm. come from the sky and mm-hmm. people need to understand that well just as we were speaking before like how long is too long yeah, i guess it really depends on the dog so i remember when i was yes. at the shelter and, and i was able just like what you were doing all my extra time lunch times after work before work you know working with these dogs and and basically they were my dogs if, if if the dog could 
make the decision, I'm sure the dog was was going to come up to me over anybody, right? So there's yeah. a couple of dogs there. I remember Summer and Joker in particular because they were there for like over a year. Those dogs were just always there. And it wasn't because, like, for example, they're none, they had no behavioral issue. It was just no one wanted the most intense um, energy from these hound dogs that were really, really large. But so, for example, with some of the aggressive dogs, that we can talk about that. But for them, they lived, they probably had the best life they had before. And we did end up finding their home, that, which I know for a fact they both stayed at that forever oh, home good. forever. So it was, yeah. that made sense. And they were there, they were happy. They didn't know any different. They were getting more than that they were getting before. But the dogs that are aggressive, the dogs that can't get out, people special need to handle these dogs, like Joker and Summer, anyone could walk them. But it wasn't that they had special requirements where only Panos could walk this dog and Panos only yes. has time to walk you once a, once a week. So then what's happening with this dog and where's the, you know, we talk about the, you know, that he's a sentient creature and that he has a soul and a heart and he has emotions and, and we're doing that to him. It just, it is a very difficult place to navigate through because we can't ask the dogs how they feel we have to impose our will and thoughts and emotions onto them and also coming from an actual experience that you know we've actually gone through it you know what's happening it's great to talk about it when you're separated but when you're there every day and you're living and breathing it you know the suffering that's happening and it's so what are the solutions tell me what what are you doing (laughs) what what, what's What are you up to? All right. So one of my biggest focuses right now is training volunteers. Um, So I think volunteers are an excellent untapped um, workforce and resource for these shelters. But we really have to hone in that focus and, and work on things that will not only get these dogs adopted and out of the shelter, but keep these adoptions successful and permanent. So keep these dogs in their homes. So I asked myself, you know, what are things we could start doing at the shelter that addresses both things? Um, So I designed, you know, basic training um, techniques that the volunteers can work on, including basic obedience, recall, place work. I want them to start working on crate conditioning. I want them to start working on muzzle conditioning. reactivity, you know, that's huge for all these dogs. So I wanted to, we're planning once this whole COVID thing calms down a little bit on doing pack walks with the dogs. So we can work multiple dogs at once, address these issues slowly, um, teach them leash handling, defensive handling, what to do when a dog fight breaks out. Um, Also strengthen meet and greet. So a lot of these volunteers can help us place these dogs. Um, What questions should they be asking? What information should they be getting from potential adopters so we can help match the best dog for their particular lifestyle or experience? Um, And then teach the ones that are a little bit more advanced. So pairing them with these project dogs and working on things like counter conditioning. So we do get a lot of dogs that display uh, fear aggressive behaviors um, that just need that one-on-one attention. So we can partner specific volunteer with a specific dog and work on them one-on-one over the weeks track the progress and hopefully get these dogs um, to the adoption row and get them adopted into their forever homes. And while these volunteers are working with the adoptive dogs, I can work in the back in the isolation units with the dogs that are a little bit higher risk as well. So kind of um, getting everyone's focus to their specialties. So making the most of what we have, um, that that's huge. Enrichment. God, enrichment is such an overlooked, I think, factor in, in shelter behavior, especially. Because. So these dogs spend, you know, upwards of 23 to 24 hours, some of these dogs in a cell, essentially. So they're surrounded by concrete without the opportunity to express natural behaviors. And I think um, that will go a long way in these unwanted behaviors or these barriers to adoption as well. 
So helping shelters and curating a program that fits their budget, that fits their staffing and their volunteers. Each shelter is different. So depending on what we're working with, I want to help create programs that are specific to their shelter, to the way they run things, to their culture, to get the most out of it. And how many shelters have you been helping in the last Uh, year? So far, two. Um, So I'm hoping to gain more. I've been reaching out to different shelters all over the state. And what I'm doing is converting my programs into online programs as well. So if, you know, I'm unable to fly out or you can't have me come out, you can still learn um, everything that we're doing here. And again, apply it to your shelter and I can do what I can remotely to ease that transition. Yeah. So we know and rescues as well. So teaching rescues how to place animals and use these techniques at home as, as well. As we know, a lot of these rescues tend to pull animals that have special needs, special behavioral Mm -hmm. needs and place them in fosters. So how do we train the fosters as if we were training the volunteers in a shelter as well? Yeah, totally. And when you talked about creating culture in the shelter, are you finding that the volunteers are, are following through and that there is a becoming a bit more of a, hey, this is just a normal thing that we should be doing rather than it being novel and new? Yeah. So they're really on board, which I'm excited. And yeah, (laughs) it was a bit of a struggle at first. So um, in the past, you know, there has been that culture of staff versus volunteers and, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was separate sectors. Each one had their own personal experience with how they viewed the shelter, depending on how they worked with the dogs. So at my shelter before it was that they just came in and strictly walked dogs. Um, Mm -hmm. They didn't really do a lot of laundry or dishes or training. We did have some volunteers that started uh, Dogs Play for Life. So running playgroups, which we found was very, very helpful as well. Um, So we're hoping to get that started again. Everything kind of got suspended over COVID. And we actually haven't reopened our volunteer program yet. So we're just working with existing volunteers now. But I'm hoping to recruit a lot of new people. Um, But they're they're so game. We want to build new enrichment yards. I'd love to build agility equipment as well. So they're, they're really open to it. And I'm finding that's more and more the case as people start to realize hey, we can't do things. Um, business as usual just isn't going to work now, yeah. um, especially the, with the shelters full and the intake numbers we're getting. Uh, we just we just got to change it. So I'm glad that they're having an open mind about it. More people getting dogs since COVID in LA or California? Yeah, a lot. Um, it The numbers are a bit weird. When So I actually did an episode on this on my own podcast and it can be a bit misleading. So um, adoptions were actually lower the year before uh, COVID before, than the year before. So more mm. people adopted dogs the year before than when we had COVID. But again, shelters were closed and um, yeah. people they also weren't accepting as many animals. So now we're seeing what looks like a boom in surrenders when we're actually going back to normal numbers. Yeah, exactly. So when you actually, yeah, people mm. um, are assuming that people are giving up their, these adopters are giving up their, their COVID dogs, but that's yeah. not really the case. We're just um, now accepting those under surrenders that we weren't accepting before when we were closed. Yeah, true, true. And yeah. um, with, with the dogs that are coming in, do you feel that, more of them are strays or people are surrendering them, but what's the culture like 
Definitely still more strays. So I know that a lot of shelters are still continuing to throttle their um, owner surrenders. And we're really only taking dogs that we feel, you know, wouldn't have a chance otherwise, or the family is just in a position where they really just can't. Hmm. Um, But because they're still picking up a ton of strays, they're trying to focus um, their spacing and their staffing and resources for those animals. Um, We have to remember that most government shelters, their primary goal is animal control. So that's their primary function. So if we find animals roaming the streets, those are the priority over owner surrenders. Um, And the shift now is trying to mitigate that before they even come in. So if we have people calling the shelter wanting to surrender their animals, we do direct them to different websites, different organizations where they can privately rehome their animals. And honestly, I feel, um, and most of us do, that they can do a far better job than we ever can. They know their dogs. So they they have a history with their animals. Um, And again, the behavior that we see at the shelter isn't necessarily how they're going to be in the home. So, and they can vet the people, you know, they have the resources and time usually to do it. Um, They just aren't aware of these programs, you know, so it's our job as county shelters and city, you know, we're a community resource to point these people in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Are you seeing more staffy or staffy type dogs in, in your shelters? Unfortunately, a lot of shepherds right now. So we do see some bully breeds, but um, I'll show you guys a video. It's heartbreaking. I mean, all the rows are full of shepherds and Malinois. Interesting. Yeah, there's, and and that's the problem. Um, There's that new movie that just came out too. Yeah. um, So we are. (laughs) We won't advertise it. (laughs) Yeah, we're um, expecting to see an influx. And that usually happens when we see a film come out. So we're hoping. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, everyone's going to want that cool bitey dog, that cool Mm -hmm. military or police dog. Um, completely unaware of what they require as a breed. And we really have to dispel this whole idea of it's all in how you raise them, right? Because it's yeah. not. Um, genetics and breed play such a huge role, mm-hmm. you know, in the temperament drive of a dog. And that's something we absolutely have to acknowledge. And unfortunately, you know, shepherds do not do well in a shelter. No, they so we they do not. And, mm. you know, when they don't get that exercise and that enrichment and that one-on-one time, they just deteriorate so quickly. So those are the dogs I feel the shelters I work with are struggling with the most right now. Yeah, for sure. And what's the first thing you get volunteers to do? What's the first thing you want to teach them? Are you ta- teaching behavioral stuff, leash handling stuff? Leash handling and cage side presentation. So mm-hmm. let's start from the very first interaction. Let's yeah. let's teach you how to hold a leash, how to leash a dog correctly, um, leash pressure too. Um, so I see a lot of that kind of walking, mm-hmm. you know, the dogs walking you. So we're really trying to address that and just entering the kennel, you know, the, mm-hmm. the very easy do not accidentally reinforce behaviors that we don't want to see, which again, people don't think about when they're walking these dogs, but it's really important, simple techniques, simple Mm-hmm. concepts that if we're mindful of they'll go a long way and that's why culture is important right like it should be okay to stand at the gate if it takes you five to eight minutes to get into the kennel and get the leash on and you're leaving the kennel if it takes that long that's cool tomorrow it will probably be four minutes and the day after probably two and a half but culture is no he needs to go out and run right now and this is not part of the walk and the walk began the moment you decide you're going to walk him because everything that he learns there will, will help with the other and culture 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 but do you feel do, do you feel that like are you getting more elder elderly type, uh, older people or younger people as volunteers elderly, at the shoulders? Definitely. Yeah. They got um, more time on their hands. They do and, and they they're do. more consistent. They, they stay there. 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. They're very consistent and very reliable. So even on holidays. What would a young person be there? You know, they're there for in between jobs or between like they finish studying for a bit. They're going to volunteer and help out. But you can't volunteer forever when you're 25. you got other things to do. I guess you could, but most people don't. Um, Yeah. And I get it. You know, you know, they're all in school and having their jobs. But I'm hoping, you know, young people, if you're listening and you're in the area, please, you know, volunteer at your local shelters. You can often get school credit for it. So at least. And shelters allow the kids to come like you know all these restrictions like you have to be this old you have to be this you have to be that like obviously don't let children come but like you know encourage 16 or up yeah yeah 16 and up is why 18 like the kids that are available are the ones that are on holidays and after school and stuff so in sort of (laughs) junior to middle high school right and you're cutting them off based off the fact that they're not 18 well look dog training is becoming more accepted in our culture the last decade it's boomed like crazy it's it's normal to get a dog trainer where 10 years ago it was it was weird like you get a dog trainer what it's it was such a weird concept so maybe i don't know what do we foresee in the next 10 years do we see that shelters do become less packed because we're doing better or they get more packed because more demand and dog training only became more of a demand because people were getting more dogs. Like which one is it? Or is it both? I I hope. And the trend that I I feel that we will see is a decrease as a result of training Mm. becoming more acceptable. Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah. So doing my own research as well, I found that upwards of 80% of owner surrenders in particular um, dogs had received no training at all. So they Mm -hmm. were the typical dogs that were intact, lived primarily outdoors, had received no training and had never seen a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. So if we start attacking these um, big factors that make the biggest impact and, you know, whether or not they end up in a shelter, I think it's going to really, really reduce intake numbers and help uh, the load that these shelters are feeling as well. So I'm hoping um, people are addressing it. You know, they're becoming more comfortable using muzzles and different techniques. I really hope, though, that this whole force-free versus balanced circus does not affect these dogs and we really just focus on what's best for them rather than imposing our emotions and our lifestyle into and forcing these dogs you know to ultimately play, pay the price for it what we've seen in the most recent history that um emotions and politics usually come together right so i know i think we're gonna have some <laughs> drums <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's already started it's already politicians started. are I- often just like they they on the votes well, that and then they just want the noise to go away, right? So if a, if a small minority of very noisy people make a lot of trouble and the mm. politician can can make that go away by bringing in a certain- But it's a motive too. So it gets you a certain popular. piece of equipment, then they'll yeah, do it true. typically. That's true. Well, how about you say most of these dogs, you know, live outside and blah, 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 no training, but also haven't seen a vet. Are we talking that like- lower socioeconomic areas are producing more stray dogs and are these people going to afford or even want to do training again not to be discriminative or anything like that but would you find that that's a trend or it's happening even with middle class people as well I, I do see it happening in the middle class, but I definitely feel that the lower um, socioeconomic mm-hmm. sections or sectors feel that pressure a lot more. And that's okay. what a lot of these shelters are focusing on is getting the funding to offer the support, either low cost veterinary okay. services. And they're mm-hmm. talking about forming veterinary co-ops. So Be different nice. veterinarians coming together to offer these lower cost services to people mm-hmm. who need it. And we already see these move- movements yeah. with like spay and neuter um, UC Davis 
has this amazing program where shelters or rescues can partner with them, their vet students in particular, um, nice. for certain low-cost services. So there Very are perfect. programs out there that are av- available that people just need to okay. research and be pointed in that direction. Well, it's like, you know, maybe less people die in cars today because more awareness was around cars. Like, you know, 50 or oh, seven years ago, you just jump in this box with wheels. <laughs> and some of the baby seats <laughs> that I saw on Facebook the other day, that was crazy. So I think maybe then as dog, dog ownership goes up and more awareness of it, then more training, more shelters, more, yes. gr- more, more funding, which then, and then maybe it will plug into our cultural thing that regardless positive only or, or not, that the the awareness of you got to do something with your dog and maybe yeah. get get them checked at the vet um, as a most basic necessity because yes. most of my clients are going to the vet way too much. Um, so, oh, really? <laughs> but, <laughs> See, that's really interesting. Oh my god, he's got diarrhea. We got to go right now. It's like, oh yeah, chill out and just relax. Their heart's in the right place, though. A hundred percent. But you can yeah. see the dynamic that people that mm-hmm. and look and people that care. Well, sorry, people that are listening care, and most of the people listening aren't in the position to be the people that we're generally talking about. But hopefully yes. this can motivate the people like us that are on the forefront with the foot soldiers going, hey, we need to make more of this a normal thing. And for so long, you know, not to boast, but I'd, I'd volunteer once every Thursday at the shelter and try to help and do all of that stuff. And if everyone did, if every professional did that, Imagine. That's, that's enough. That's enough to kind of at least, Absolutely. you know, know that, oh, a marker, like, Oh, what's a marker? Marker training. Oh. We, exactly. We can well, what, what's the this. critical period? Oh, there's a puppy in the shelter. Maybe you should take him for a walk. Um, actually, we, let's talk about Parvo in California because we talk about it in Sydney all the time. It, yeah. it, what's the situation with critical periods of development and getting puppies out? What's your advice that you give to owners? Um, so we, we don't see as much Parvo. So we'll get in a case every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, we've been with aggressive intervention. They usually survive. Yeah. Um, but right now, we're a little bit more worried about uh, CIV, so the canine influenza virus, as well as leptospirosis. So we are starting to see mm. um, that pop up, not only in our state, but across the country. So typically, we do have, at the shelter at least, because we're such a high-volume area, we do have strays coming in that are sick. Um, we've had kennel cough outbreaks, I don't know how many times. We are very careful with our puppies. We do, however, um, definitely recommend that our volunteers come in, socialize with them, um, just avoid areas that are higher traffic, like the play yards or out in front where the strays are out you know, urinating or defecating. But other than that, I do think it's important to start exposing these dogs to people, to animals. That is a very, very important period. And I know it's kind of contested, you know, is it between six and 16 weeks, like solid concrete? Not necessarily, but we know it's around that time right now. Um, So definitely start attacking it and be proactive in the time that we do have with these dogs and get them exposed to these different environments, these different people. Um, We did have a litter of Malinois born at the shelter that we put through the super dog program. So we started exposing them to different types of handling, um, heat, cold, different, you know, touches just, and they were a handful by the time they were 12 weeks old. So we were proud. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What if it was like your neighbor just got a puppy and is it normal or something that you would advise being in, um, in LA or in California anywhere to say, Oh, your puppy's fresh. Start getting them out going for walks and seeing the world. Is that something that you could advise as a professional in your state? Because in Sydney, I would certainly tell people to do that. 
Yes. So yeah. I just, again, tell them to avoid places like dog parks where they aren't vetted mm-hmm. and you don't know where, sure. um, yeah, if where the disease is coming mm-hmm. from and there's a higher risk for it. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, I think that is a part where we're seeing people were a little bit too careful. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't expose these dogs enough. Or probably they leading over- a lot of these dogs to the shelter. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. Sure. We could have been proactive in that early stage mm. um, or some people are overdoing it. So they're doing, you know, yeah, the hundred sure dogs or a hundred people in a hundred days, but mm-hmm. they're not exactly positive interactions. Yeah, exactly. They're not reading the dog's behavior mm-hmm. and how they're taking that all in. So they're pushing it too much. So definitely I do recommend that people start socializing their dogs as soon as they get them, especially when they're puppies, but definitely um, take it slow and be patient and just have it in a, do it in a controlled manner. That's most effective for the particular dog that you have. Totally. Good answer. And random question, not random, mm-hmm. but why do you love dogs? What is it about dogs that make you love them so much and to dedicate all your work or your yeah, you time? Said and you've been working with dogs for like almost 20 years. Like how did all yeah, that kind so- of start? I'm going to get a little personal now. (laughs) So um, I've, I've dealt with my own, my own trauma and my own struggles. So I was actually diagnosed with PTSD when I was 18 years old. I am a survivor of sexual assault. And that was a a very big period in my life where I had to be rehabilitated. Um, But it, it there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of chaos. And I, you know, struggled with panic attacks for a long, long time. And one thing I had to learn was how to be mindful and how to ground myself and my emotions. And nothing could help me do that the way it it happened when I was working with a dog, especially work on working one-on-one with a dog in um, setting such as a shelter where you're not held um, compliant or liable to anyone else, but just you and that dog. And um I learned a lot with my own journey and that it can be painful and it can be uncomfortable, you know, growing and getting yourself out of that hole when there's nothing around you, but darkness and dogs taught me so much in resilience in, Hey, your life is bad, but I'm still going to try to make the best of it. And we've had dogs come in that were blind and deaf and just their exuberance for life and their attitude. You, you could never tell, you know, and, and Amen to that. I, oh my God, mm. I, I want to take it's that infectious, energy. Isn't it? Yeah. it absolutely is. And they are healing, you know, and they've healed me. We've, we've grown together. We've learned together. And I, I do think it's helped me bond with these dogs and understand them on a different level. And that was such an integral part of my healing journey and becoming the person I am now that I, I couldn't see doing anything else. And I, I love doing this. I love working with dogs more than anything else. I actually um, studied, you know, video game art and design for a while. I studied business for a while, journalism. I was doing journalism, but I always came back to animals. And I think just oh, well. our relationship, evolutionary relationship alone with dogs yes. is so special. It's and in our DNA, I, I believe it. Uh, they bring out the best of, mm-hmm. in us. I absolutely yes. think that. Yeah. You have dogs? Um, so not right now. Unfortunately, we lost Hammy last year. So he was, um, yeah, he was honestly the best dog. He was the best helper dog, very dog and people neutral. So mm-hmm. if there was um, fearful dogs that just needed to learn to be around a dog that would totally ignore them, Hammy was was it. But unfortunately, he came down with a case of HGE, um, idiopathic. We never found out what it was, but we lost him within 24 hours. He just started okay. hemorrhaging internally and oh, it was gosh. very rough, but um, he was about 13 years old, so he lived a long life. And we do feel that we're going to get another one soon or, you know, in the future. It's just yeah. going to be hard to find the right one. And we'll know when we see him, but you know, we've, we've got our eyes out. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. 
Wow, we've covered a lot of ground. We can go really deep on a few things, but I think I'm going to wrap it up here. Unless, Luke, did you have any other questions? I just Don't wanted to thank it. you for for coming on. Like, I think the rescue community um, does a lot of work out of the spotlight, and that doesn't always get like probably the attention that it deserves. You know what yeah, I mean? True. Like, there's a lot yeah. of heartbreak and a lot of really difficult situations that are going on every day of the week and you know even like panos has worked in you know shelters and you know been around when dogs were euthanized and stuff like that and it's like it's very i'm sure i've never been there to experience that but i can i mean i've been there when my dog was euthanized and i can't imagine doing that on a daily basis or a weekly basis like it's very confronting and um i think that you know people uh, even if they don't necessarily come out and say it i think they, i'm sure they appreciate the kind of work that you guys are doing so yeah and that's yeah, totally. actually why i reached out to him in the first place was my first message like i heard you guys discuss it on one of your episodes and immediately i was like oh my god he understands like he mm. knows what i'm going through and i was like deep in it at that point where mm. i was feeling overwhelmed with like behavioral euthanasia and mm. and what we went through as staff members that is so overlooked you know people don't understand that side of it and it it takes such a huge physical and emotional toll on you and you, yeah. you carry that suffering and that guilt with you and i think it's important that we reach out we First off, talk about these issues. Yeah. You know, we can't be afraid to talk about it and also help support each other. So through networking and just helping each other out as much as we can for the sake of these dogs, that's that's why we're all here. And sharing the same, like that's why the podcast, it could be the only problem with the podcast, you got to like actually listen to it. And if you're not driving <laughs> around and have time to listen, like I don't know how people listen to so many different podcasts and audiobooks and and the rest of it. So while you're doing dishes or like sweeping, there's time. That, 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 is, that is definitely true. And I'm one of those, but I know a lot of people aren't and, and it can be hard to receive. And, you know, most of the best things happen in most podcasts right at the end where we're talking about the most raw stuff. But, you know, um, and I think I shared this story before where this lady came into the shelter, started crying, you know, and I'm like, can I help you? What's going on? She goes, I just basically, she just came there to cry. It's so sad. It's so sad. I'm like, it's, this is an ama- amazing place because without this place, these dogs will be on the streets, probably like hunting your cat. And also <laughs> there were that, you know, like we rehome and help and house yes. so many more dogs and we are killing them, but people yes. only focus on killing them and not about finding them a place that they can go. And you don't have to, and as well, if you've listened all this far, you don't have to feel bad about getting a, like not getting a dog from the shelter just because, you know, we say it's a noble thing. It's a good thing to do, but then people feel guilty. Oh my God, I feel so bad. I bought a puppy from a breeder. I don't nope. think I don't think that's don't a problem feel- either. So I think we no, should put that out. There it too. is absolutely a problem here, but we're really trying to change that mindset. Everyone is mm. very adopt, don't shop, but the dogs that are ending up in the shelters, it's, it's a matter of care for these people and a matter of resources. So regardless of where the dog comes from, if we provide these people with the means to take care of their dogs properly, they're not going to end up there in the first place. Exactly. And also, you know, um, what was the point? Um, Bah, doesn't matter. We'll probably get you on again <laughs> next time and have a chat. I'm mumbling my words and it's 8 p.m. It's bloody one o'clock in the morning there for you. So yeah, I don't, yeah. Do, I don't know if we me. mentioned that at the start. We, we were talking not. about it before I hit record, but like it's 8 p.m. It's Monday night in Sydney. It's 1 a.m. <laughs> in California. So we did not like, force I, her to do that time. I suggested <laughs> the time and she and what did you say? I said, let's do it. I'll go <laughs> for it. I'm eating dinner at this time anyway. There you so. go. <laughs> so, mate, 
It's like, this is the only time you have available. Um, hey, one last actual question, because I've got it written here and has to be asked. Why Wolf Mother? Tell me Wolf Mother. Um, so I love the idea of, of a balance between structure and love. So you yeah. can't have too much of, of one or the mm. other. So I do picture like that matriarch in the family, right? That That is stern, but is is very loving as well. Yeah, so well. providing what these animals need, despite my own emotion uh, behind the issue, just very loving. But again, discipline goes a long way as well. That is awesome. That's really amazing. I love that. Thank you. Hey, isn't it as well? Or tomorrow for us, very soon, will be 2202022. Yeah. So, talking about duality and, you know, the wolf and the mother, I think that was pretty appropriate. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah everyone go. buy a lot of ticket. There you go. Um, <laughs> we'll do tomorrow. Um, tell everyone where they can find you and where they can drop you um, a message to share some love for the work that you do. Beautiful. So my website is www.wolfmotherk9. That's the letter K number nine.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. So I post a lot of videos there as well. It's just at wolfmotherk9. Again, wolfmother letter K number nine. And please share your stories with me. I'm here not only as a resource, but as support as well. So if people just need to talk or vent, um, I love connecting with everyone. If you've got questions, if you've got concerns or, or um, suggestions as well, I'm open to it all. So please reach out. And I appreciate you guys giving me this platform to be able to talk about my message and my mission and my vision for these shelters, especially moving forward into the future. Hey, not a problem. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And finally, after all this time, and I think we yes. we, we, we crossed another uh, milestone and got someone outside of Australia on. So I think Hell um, yeah. we'll, we'll <laughs> all grow together. Yes. I'm going to yeah. put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's the best. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great night and we'll speak very soon. Thank you. You as well. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training. My website, npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, dot com, dot A-U. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at kizuna canine training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.